and happy Father's Day to all of you. Um, I'm Bill, and I'm the campus pastor here at uh, downtown campus of Spring Lake Church. And uh, so this morning, we're going to be continuing on our series. If you were here last week, you know that Jack launched our series in Psalms. And so we're doing something called Songs of Summer, a study in Psalms. And uh, this week, we're going to be looking at a different chapter from the book of Psalms. We'll be looking at Psalm 19. I know Shelley mentioned that. But before we jump into the series on Psalms, I want to give you a quick word about downtown campus. You know, there's uh, this problem that churches run into often, and it's that uh, it's hard to effectively communicate to people uh, what their next steps are in a church. In other words, uh, as a church, we're not always so clear for what it means for somebody to belong and become part of the integral life of the church. And I know I've been in churches before, and I know it can feel like this sometimes at our church, where it can feel like really hard to break into the culture of a church. Anyone feel that before? Where it's like, I always feel like I'm an outsider when I show up at church. And it can, it can take a while for you to break through that and start to feel what you, like you belong. And so what tends to happen is people often come to our weekend services, and they can feel like they're outsiders, but there is actually a solution to this, um, and it's about getting deeper involved at Spring Lake Church. And so um, I'm going to talk about this later in the sermon too, but there's uh, people like list of things. So I'm going to give you a list of three things that you can do uh, in order for you to go deeper with Spring Lake Church and feel like you're part of what's going on here and what God is doing here. The first one is this, uh, continue attending our weekend worship services. You know, weekend worship is a great way for you to come on a Sunday morning or a Saturday night at our other campus and to really start to worship God together. It's where you get to know us and where we get to know you a little bit. And we get to see who you are and you get to see the people who are worshiping with you. You learn a little bit about God's word. You learn about who Spring Lake is. Um, But the thing is, is that this is only step one, right? And a lot of people get stuck at step one. There are a lot of people who are so busy in life that they struggle to even come consistently to one of our services. And it can be really hard to feel like you belong if, the, if you're just only coming once in a while to Spring Lake Church. So make an effort to be here. You can also join us online. We actually stream our services. So if you're on vacation, uh, that's not a good excuse. You can stream us, right? And uh, the second step would be this. Once you get step one down, do step number two. It's to sign up for one of our classes, or even better yet, join one of our groups. The classes that we offer here at Spring Lake Church, like Starting Point, or even just Lunch with the Staff, or our membership classes, those are designed to help you get into community, to start meeting other people and learning what Spring Lake is about. But even better than that is our group ministry. And that's where you get to actually do life with other believers, And can I tell you how important that is for you to feel like you actually belong in a church? Like you have to get to know other people, right? And so um, get into one of our groups and make that part of your life here at Spring Lake Church. Um, Our groups are centered around community and Bible and prayer and being intentional and multiplication. And so it's a great way for you to belong here. You can always view our groups on our website, but if you're not involved in a group, I would love to talk to you later after service and just connect with you and we can talk about how you can get involved with a group. The third thing is this, is for you to find a ministry or outreach project for you to be involved in. 
You know, serving alongside of other believers is a huge way that you can go deeper with your church. And so um, here's the basic steps. Attend services, sign up for classes in a group, and find a ministry or outreach to be involved in. Because, here's why, when you belong to Spring Lake Church in those ways, that's when you get to see God use his word and his people along with the Holy Spirit to transform your life. And so I would love, and we would love as a church, for nothing more than you to get really involved here and to make this church your home. So that said, um, we are always on the search for more group leaders. If you are passionate about helping people know and love Jesus and you want to move people along, I would love to talk to you about being a group leader and what that looks like because there are always people looking and there's never enough spots. So I just want to let that be known this morning before we jump into our passage. But we are here for Psalm 19 to talk about that, so let's jump into that. We're going to read the psalm in just a minute. You can start turning there if you want. Uh, We do have some Bibles under the seats by you, or you can always look on your phone, or it'll be on the screen as well. We're going to read that psalm in just a minute, but I want to point something out first. If you were to start to read this psalm and you were to look in your Bible, you would see that it is titled Psalm 19, and then it says, For the director of music, a psalm of David. And so this tells us two pieces of important information. First, this is a psalm that David, King David, which Jack talked about last week, wrote himself. And second, it's intended for the director of music. It's really interesting to think about. This psalm, written by David, would actually have been used for worship when the assembly of Israel came together. And so this is a worship song that was actually sung by a congregation. You know the worship songs that we sung before I got up? Those were our worship songs. These were their worship songs. David wrote this as a worship song to God. And it's really interesting that um, the Jews actually used the Psalms, not just when they went to the assembly, but the Jews used the Psalms in their household throughout history. So after the Psalms were written, it became natural to have the Psalms be part of your daily life as a Jew. In your family, you would sing Psalms together, much like a lot of us sing worship songs together in our family. And that's just really fascinating because if you think about this for a second, that means that Jesus himself would also sing these psalms. He would actually be singing this psalm, Psalm 19, when he was learning to become a carpenter with his dad. When he was walking along the road, when he was sweeping, when he was doing these different things of daily life, Jesus would be uh, singing these psalms. You know, we only often think about the, the words of Jesus as what we learn from the New Testament. But the Psalms would be basically what the Jews used to stay connected to God and to their tradition. And Jesus would have used those and used them for worship in his life. And so this information should help us realize the significance in the context of the words that we're studying. These are worship songs that Jesus himself knew and used in his worship. So as we go through this series, I just encourage you to keep that in your mind. Keep in your mind that these are important songs that were part of God's people for a long time that Jesus himself sang. So keep that in mind as we read Psalm 19. Here's what it says. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. 
Day after day, they pour forth speech, and night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived from its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than the honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own heirs? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of transgression. May the words of my heart and the medita- may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, today you, have may, you may have noticed on your, uh, on your bulletin that the title is God Talks, Will You Listen? And so today we're going to discover three ways that God communicates with us according to Psalm 19. And the question you should be asking yourself this morning is, how well am I doing at listening to what God is saying? Because God is talking. Let's jump right in. The first one is this. God talks through his world. God talks through his world. Look at the passage again. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, and night after night they reveal knowledge. The basic premise of this passage is that God's created world is always speaking to us about God's existence in his glory, in his workmanship. Listen to the words that are used. Listen to the words that David says. He says, declare, proclaim, pour forth speech, reveal knowledge. Their voice goes out. David is pointing out and highlighting that the very world in which we live in and wake up in every day is constantly telling us of God's glory and the work of his hands. It is giving us knowledge of God. Now, that might seem a little mysterious to some of us, What do you mean that God is talking through his creation? You know, I don't wake up in the morning and look at the sun and hear the sun say, Hello, humans of earth. Do you know that God is good and he exists and he's glorious? I don't know why the sun sounds like that, but I don't hear that when I look at the sun. And if I do start hearing that, then I'm going to have to get my meds adjusted, right? But what does David mean then by this passage? What does it mean that God or that creation is speaking about God? Well, in order for us to understand this idea, it helps to identify the characteristics of the speech that is going forth. And so there's a few characteristics that you need to know this morning. The first one is this. You'll notice that David identifies this speech that is going forward or going out from creation as constant. So this is the first one. It's constant. Day after day, and night after night. The sense, that, the sense that you're supposed to get here is that the speech is always happening. 
There's always something intrinsically built into the world we live in, in which is, it's always speaking of God's glory and his workmanship. In other words, when we witness God's created things, they are always talking to us about him. There are so many scientists in the history of the world who would confirm this. You know, a lot of times we associate science with atheism, but some of the most renowned scientists in history believed in God. Francis Collins, the director of the Human Genome Project, one of the largest scientific projects the world has ever done, they map the human genome, he is a Christ follower. He believes ardently in Christ because of what he's seen in creation. People like Newton and Francis Bacon and Kepler and Galileo all believed in God and many others as well throughout history. And if you do a little research into what these scientists study, it's easy to see why. Scientists study the natural world. They are constantly trying to understand this physical world that God has created and that we live in. And all the time they're studying and observing the world, the world is speaking to them. It is constantly telling them of God and his glory, the order and the systems of the universe, the complexity of life, the laws of physics, and even the beauty from the landscapes that we see all speak of God. A scientist who studies the cosmos will see God's greatness. They'll see the greatness of an infinite God. And a scientist who studies the most tiny aspects of our world under a microscope will also see God's divine power in the amazing order that God creates, even at the smallest scale. No matter where you are or how you look at God's word, it is constantly talking about him. Creation cries out that God is real and that he's powerful. The second characteristic of this speech is that it is silent but still very real. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voices go out. You know, this reminds me of like one of those, like, um, what do they call those things? Oh, riddles that you hear. Uh, what is always talking but doesn't use words and never makes sound? Right? Like that's like a riddle. We could, we could make that a riddle. Apparently that's creation. It's God's created world. It's always talking but doesn't use words and never makes a sound. But what David is pointing out here is that even though the knowledge is not in the form of audible words, it's still real. You know, I grew up doing a lot of canoeing and hiking adventures with church groups and camps. And uh, one of the common practices that we did when we went out on these was something called a solo. A solo is where you take each camper and you give them their own little territory and a few supplies, and then you just leave them alone for a few hours or maybe even a day. And I always believed this solo time came really conveniently when the leaders were getting really tired and fed up with us. <laughs> but anyway, nearly every time I did this, it was a profound experience for me. Um, there is always something about being in the context of nature, being detached from our busy lives and busy world, and alone with your thoughts, that makes you start pondering deeper questions. I mean, honestly, I'm in the middle of the Canadian wilderness, and no one is around, and I start looking around and start taking everything in, and I can't help but ask, is this really all here by accident? Right? Am I here on this planet by chance? Is this some kind of random cosmic joke? 
And I don't know exactly why. It seems silly to do this, but every time I do a solo, every time, I just end up sitting down, and I don't know why, but I just look at this one square foot of earth. I just, like, look at it, and I'm like, what's going on here? You know, like, what's going on in this one square foot? And the craziest thing is this. It is teeming with life in all sorts of different ways. You look and you start to notice plants and dirt with microbes and bacteria and fungus and insects and animals and all sorts of things. It is teeming with life in every way. And it's kind of screaming out to me, saying, where did this life come from? There is life in this existence where a person may have never tread. It's in the middle of nowhere, and yet there's life all over it. Why? Because God is the source of life. There's a reason behind that. And even though it's not an audible sound, the knowledge of it is very present and real. If you get a chance, this summer, get out into this world, into this creation, and listen for what God is saying through his creation. The last characteristics of these words is that they're all-encompassing. It says, Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. God created the world in such a way that no matter where you are on this planet, no matter where you are, his message will reach you. And it goes to the ends of the world. And and I read this passage so many times preparing for this message, and I couldn't help but keep thinking about Romans chapter 1, 20 through 23, where it says, For since the creation of the world, since the very beginning of the world, God's invisible qualities— His eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds, and animals, and reptiles. You see, since the very inception of our world, it has been clearly speaking forth that God is real, that he is divine and powerful, and everyone since the history of time gets this same message all the time. But the problem that's highlighted in this passage is not the message itself, but it's how people respond to it. Romans 1 is clear that people begin to attribute the message of a divine God full of glory to themselves or to others or to created things. People would rather attribute the, the beauty and the splendor of this world to Mother Nature than to God the Father and Christ the Son by way of the Holy Spirit. So as you consider this world that is constantly speaking to you and crying out to you about God, Do not block your ears to its message, and do not attribute it to anything else. The Lord is speaking through his creation, and we live in this wondrous world that is telling us all the time that God is real, that he exists, that he's powerful and good. God talks through his world. Are you listening? Brings us to our second point. God talks through his word. God talks through his word. Look at the passage again. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Now, I didn't say this 
in the beginning, but a really good way of understanding this is to really see this as a progression. First, God's creation reveals that he exists and that he's full of glory, and this is called God's general revelation, and it's revealed to everyone all the time, and then it's revealed to us specifically in God's word. Now, once we understand that a powerful, glorious God is indeed real, it should lead us to a question, and this is the question. What is this God like? If God exists and he created the world, what is God like? And this is where David jumps in and he begins to talk about God's law. Okay, so there's a disconnect here. Because God's law is, uh, when I think about God's law, I think about things like God's rules. And I think about the law as in all the things that God tells us to do. So how does that tell us about God? It says the law of the Lord is perfect. But what David means when he uses the word law isn't, he's not talking about all the commandments. He's actually talking about um, the word for Hebrew law is Torah. And so when David says law, he's actually talking about the first five books of the Bible. He's not specifically talking about the rules found in scripture, but scripture itself. And I point this out because it's super important when we read this psalm as modern readers to think about it the correct way. David is saying that God's word, in other words, God's revelation of his will through the words of scripture, that is what is complete and perfect. So when you're reading this section of Psalm, you need to keep on reminding yourself that this is talking about God's word and not just the rules. After all, listen, just having a rule book is not very inspiring, right? But having the written revelation of the God of this universe in your hands, that is inspiring. That's, that's very inspiring. It's something to pay attention to. So the laws and the statutes and the precepts and the commands are all referring to God's written word. Now that we have that understanding, let's take a look at the benefits of the word of God and why we need to know them. One of the best ways to get your arm around this part of scripture, and a fun thing to do when you're in the Psalms is to diagram a Psalm, okay? And I'm going to show you how to do that this morning. Um, if you put it up, I think there's another slide that has a diagram. Okay, look at you guys get to see my chicken scratches. Isn't that amazing? I have really bad handwriting. I should have been a doctor. Um, but, so this is how you would do it. You basically take the Psalm, and you would um, do a subject. What is it talking about? You would do a description of, uh, like, what's the adjective that's using to describe it? And then you would do what that part does. And so if you look at here, you'll see that um, in the first subject column, uh, you'll notice that the words are all actually synonyms. They're all referring back to God's word. The only one that's different is fear of the Lord, okay? So there's a subject that's fear of the Lord, but that's basically the result of knowing God's word is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so it's talking about the same thing. They're all talking about the Bible. So that one's pretty straightforward. But then when you look at the next column, you get a description, a full description of God's word. And so listen to this. Think about this. This is what God's word is. God's word is perfect. It is trustworthy. It is right. It is radiant. It is pure. It is firm. It is righteous. And it's precious and sweet. Now, we could take each one of those and talk about them in depth But instead, let me just ask you a question. As you read that list, do you think about God's word that way? Do you have the heart that David has for it? Because you know and I know that a lot of people see God's word as something else. 
They see God's word as an obligation, as something that they should read and practice but don't. A lot of people actually, when you talk about the Bible, they automatically feel guilty. Oh, I'm, I should read my Bible. Shoot, I feel guilty, right? Or they're skeptical or critical of it. And God's word is not often seen in the best light. But David has clearly cultivated a love for God's word in his life. Listen to what he says. He says, They are more precious than gold, than pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from a honeycomb. And I'll be honest, I really love God's word, and I've learned to love God's word, but I don't know if I treasure it and cherish it the way that David does in Psalms. But guess what? I want to. I really want to. And honestly, I don't think that that just happens. It's not like just one morning you wake up. Some people get, some people have told me this. They become Christians and they're like, I just wanted to read the Bible over and over and over again. And I was like, I hate you, right? Because it was so hard for me. It was always so difficult for me to get into God's word. And for some people, maybe they just have that passion, a God-given passion. But for the rest of us, which I think is probably the majority of us, we need to cultivate a passion for that. Now, I talked about this before, but people in our culture love lists. So I got another list for you. And the most popular um, blogs out there today are lists. Like, I, all day when you're searching the web, it's like five ways to wear a scarf. Five ways to make your father feel special on Father's Day, right? Like four things to get ahead at work. All those sorts of things. So this morning, as we think about creating a passion for God's word— I want to give you a list so that you can walk away with something. So here's my list for cultivating a passion for God's word. We're going to put these on Facebook as well because they do so well, okay? Um, The first thing is to obey God's word. Now, this seems really obvious to obey God's word. It's easier said than done. But when you actually begin to follow God's word, you read God's word and you put it into practice, and you see the blessing that you get from living it out, you begin to appreciate it more, and you cultivate a passion for it. The second one is grow with God's word. What I mean by that is you intentionally go to God's word with an expectation that it's going to help you grow and change as a follower of Jesus. You go to it wanting to understand a perspective of a reality from God's perspective. And it should be a way for you to start thinking differently about this world that we live in. Number three is to invest your time in God's word. It can be one of the hardest habits to learn, but get into the habit and mark it on your calendar each week to read it. You don't have to love every minute of it. Can I just blow a myth out of the water for a second? Um, there, our culture is constantly telling us this same thing over and over again. Only do what you're passionate about. You know, you shouldn't waste your time doing the boring things of life. Only do what you're really passionate and excited about. Guess what? That is not life. I tell my kids all the time, you don't have to like it. You just have to do it, right? Like, you need to slug through. And sometimes you're going to wake up in the morning. You're going to set aside your time to read God's word, and you're not going to feel like it. And guess what? When you don't feel like it, I'm blowing that excuse out of the water. You should do it anyway. It doesn't matter if you feel like it or not. It's good for you. You know, I don't like taking cough syrup sometimes, but when I have a cough, it's good for me, okay? So the same thing with God's word. Also, number four, use God's word when you're in trouble. When you face something that's hard, a temptation or a struggle in your life or you're mourning something, use God's word. It becomes 
it becomes a foundation for you, and it's a place where you look for the answers to your problem. The last one is this, share God's word. Every time that you hear a truth, whether from a sermon or something you listen to online or something you're studying, you should be sharing that with somebody else in your life. Hey, let me tell you real quick what I learned this week about God's word. It's really not that hard, that piece of it. Okay, so let's look at the last column there, and let's talk about what God's word does. It refreshes the soul. It makes wise the simple. It gives joy to the heart. It gives light to the eyes, and it endures forever. Now, because we don't have a ton of time this morning, I don't want to get into each one of these, but I just want to give you like the elevator pitch, okay, for God's word, based on this passage. There are a lot of us on this planet that are tired. Anyone tired this morning? Yeah? There's a lot of us on this planet that are tired. There's a lot of us who feel stuck or out of ideas. We can all have a tendency to feel sad at times or overwhelmed with life or numb about life. And there are so many of us who are living our lives and we're just coasting. Right? That's probably true of a lot of us. But according to this passage, according to what David says, cultivating this passion for God's word and being in God's word will make us whole. It'll pull our lives together. It'll point out the right road ahead when we're stuck. It'll show us the ways to joy. It'll help us see clearly. It even comes with a lifetime guarantee. God's word is better than a $20 million bank account. And it's sweeter than the red, ripe strawberries in summer with whipped cream. Making God's word primary in your life helps you to have the best life possible. The life a loving God wants you to have. The life that's full of abundance. Listen, God is communicating to us through his word. God wants people to flourish and to do well. He wants us to thrive And he's actually given us his written revelation of his will for us to have. What are you doing with it? Are you letting it collect dust? Are you ignoring it? Are you prioritizing everything else but it? God talks through his word. Are you listening? That brings us to our final point. God talks through or to and through his worshiper. God talks to and through his worshiper. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant from willful sins. May they not rule over me. And then I will be blameless and innocent in my transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. So this interesting thing happens when we come to the word of God. We come to the word of God and we encounter God himself And you see, David makes it clear how beautiful and awesome God's word is because it's derived from God. But immediately, David understands when he goes to God's word that he has a problem. And we all have this problem. When we encounter God, we are left with the reality that in no way are we worthy according to what we see in Scripture. In no way. We start to realize that our sin problem is so deep and so far-fetching that even if we wanted to confess even all of our deepest and darkest sins, we wouldn't have any way to do it because they're hidden from us even. The depth of our sin is so deep that we don't even know 
what we've done is wrong. And in that moment, God is saying something to you. He's saying something to you. When you encounter scripture and you feel convicted, God is talking directly to you and he's saying to you, listen, you can't do this without me. You cannot be perfect. We can never hope to perfectly follow God on our own. And so the reality is you are always in constant need of Jesus. In fact, that's why Jesus had to come, because we are so broken and so sinful that we can never pull ourselves out of that. Jesus is the only one who lived the life of perfect obedience to his Father. He was the spotless Lamb of God, a perfect sacrifice on our behalf. And it is only God who can fix our sin problem, and we need God constantly in our life. And so David's response to understanding what God's word is is perfect. He calls out God to God for help. He says, forgive my hidden faults. Keep me from intentionally sinning against you. Help me to stay away from the great transgressions. Lord, make it so that what I say out loud and what I think and I feel inside are pleasing to you. You know, the reality of of it is, is that too many of us are trying to bear the burden of this life alone. Even if we know God, we often leave him out of the equation. The Western world, and especially Americans, prize this idea of rugged individuality, the self-made man or the self-made woman. But if we are listening to God and his word this morning, we would know that that path doesn't work. And so listen, church, you have to know this from this psalm. Understand this. Stop leaving God out. Stop leaving God out of your marriage problems. He's not looking at you, shaming you, and making you feel guilty because you have a problem. He actually wants you to thrive. He wants you to love and to, and to thrive in your marriage relationship. Stop leaving God out of work. The problems that you have at work, God actually cares about those. He cares about you all the time, not just when you're here on a Sunday morning. And he wants you to thrive and to do well and to represent him well at work. Stop leaving God out of your finances. He wants to provide for you. Are you lacking in any way? Really lacking? Are you truly in need of something? Go to God with it. He cares for you. He loves you. God provides a way. Stop leaving God out of your parenting. Stop trying to muscle things out on your own. Stop trying to be the lone wolf in your life. Listen, here's the truth. You need divine help constantly. You are actually built for dependency on God and others. One of the great criticisms that's thrown at Christianity over and over again is, it's just a crutch for the weak. To which we should say, amen. We are weak and we are broken without God. And we are always in need of him. He is more than a crutch. God is our strength. And he is the power behind everything we say and we do as followers of Jesus. God is talking to his and through his worshiper. And he's saying, listen, you can't do this life without me. So stop trying. This morning, God is talking. But he was talking way before you came to church. He was talking as you got up this morning and the sun rose. And he was, he, was saying, he was saying things like, I exist. 
I'm here. I'm powerful and mighty and full of glory. Know me. But he doesn't stop there. He's talking to you this morning in the deep, in the rich, life-giving words of Scripture. He's saying, I love you. I know what's best for you. I want to show you the way to the best life possible if you'll just let me. And finally, he's talking to you as his worshiper. You can't do this on your own. You need me. Rely on me. I am the way and the truth in the life. Listen, church, as you leave today and you go from this place, it's all too easy to believe that you're going to leave God right here in this church, in a building. It's easy to believe that God is going to be silent on your, on your Monday morning. But, can I tell you, God is talking. It's just a matter of if you're listening or not. Let's pray. Lord, when your word points it out to us, we can see and know, and we know it's truth, that you are speaking to us. That you speak to us in the beauty of your creation. That the fact that this world is teeming with life indicates that you've given it life. We know you're talking through your word, and we know how precious it is, even though we don't have that attitude always, and we don't always treat it that way. Lord, would you help us to get out of the way of ourselves, to open up your word and to see what you have for us? And Lord, we know you're talking to and through your worshipers. So would you give us ears to hear? Would you help us to listen well? Lord, we pray that as you're talking, that you would just allow us to be people who are always listening and responding to what you have to say. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.